Jerusalem. Few other words can elicit feelings of hope and peace, and at the same time, sentiments of sorrow and heartbreak, or in some cases, anger, vengeance, and division. Strange, as the word itself literally means city of peace. Although Jerusalem has likely witnessed in its nearly 4,000 year history, more terror, destruction, and suffering than almost any place on earth, it lives on and remains a source of hope to millions. Why does Jerusalem still impact the affairs and emotions of peoples around the world? Today we will take a look at the history, the present, and in particular the future of this captivating city. The story of Jerusalem began millennia ago. The city is set in rugged hill country, 30 miles east of the Mediterranean and about 20 miles north of the Dead Sea. It is on a plateau which is heavily incised by three steep-walled ravines that converge in the Siloam Valley, southeast of the city. The most prominent parts of the ancient site are two hills. Atop the southern one sits what is now known as the City of David and on the northern hill, what today is the Temple Mount. We do know the site was inhabited and operating as a royal city in the days of Abraham, circa 1800 BC. At that time, the biblical record refers to it as Salem, and that original settlement long predated the patriarch. We also have a clear record in the Tel Elamarna letters, a collection of clay tablets found in the ancient ruined city of Akhenaten in Egypt. They are inscribed with the correspondence between officials in the ancient Near East and Egypt in the 14th century BC. One records a correspondence between Pharaoh and his representative, Abdihepa. Abdihepa was a paltry potentate in a world dominated by the Egyptians to the south. His appeals, found in Pharaoh's archive, are panic-stricken, the first known words of a Jerusalemite. The tablets refer to Jerusalem as Urusalim, the Babylonian word for city of Salem, meaning city of peace. Other tablets imply that the city had originally been occupied by the Hittites and was eventually overrun by a Canaanite people known as Jebusites. Hence the name of the city in Judges 19 is Jebus and it was they who occupied Jerusalem at the time of the Israelite invasion. When the Habiru, or Hebrew, peoples or Israelites invaded Canaan under Joshua in the 14th century BC, Jerusalem was a heavily fortified town whose defenses were strengthened by the steep-sided ravines on all sides, making the city virtually impregnable by armies of the day. The tribe of Benjamin in the days of Joshua did take the area surrounding the city, but did not take the citadel, largely due to its defensive strength. Hence, for nearly 400 years, the Benjamites and the Jebusites lived side by side. Around 1000 BC, David had become king of Israel. His first capital was in Hebron, in the territory of Judah, but he realized that having a capital on the border between two tribes 
would make the capital's location a more politically neutral territory from which to govern the entire nation. But how could such a stronghold be captured? So confident were the Jebusites that the city could not be taken, they mocked David from the city walls. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking, David cannot come in here. In 2 Samuel 5 and 1 Chronicles 11, we learn of David's plan to attack Jebus and see a valiant soldier named Joab lead a group of what we would now call commandos in a daring raid. They bypassed the fortified Gihon Spring, entering into a subterranean water channel and then climbed a 50-foot-high vertical rock shaft to enter under the city walls, resulting in the capture of this impregnable fortress. Thereafter, Jerusalem was David's capital and the capital of Israel. King Solomon succeeded his father, and although he brought great wealth and power and recognition to Israel, by the end of his rule, the nation groaned under brutal taxation. Solomon's son Rehoboam refused appeals to reform, and the nation was divided by civil war, with ten tribes forming a northern kingdom called Israel, and Judah and Benjamin forming the southern kingdom of Judah about 922 BC. Jerusalem, with its glorious temple to God, remained the capital of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel continued until conquered by Assyria in 721 BC. Some of the population of Israel fled, while many were taken into bitter captivity by the Assyrians. Judah remained for another 165 years before this now magnificent city of Jerusalem was absolutely destroyed by the forces of Babylon in 586 BC. Its people were killed or taken captive to Babylon, where they were resettled. This seemed to be the end of this ancient city. Yet 70 years later, the new Persian rulers of the region opened the door for the Jews to rebuild it. In 536 BC, under the leadership of men like Ezra and Nehemiah, Jerusalem rose from the rubble and a second temple was completed in 516 BC. Thus began another round of its turbulent history. Following the fall of the Persians, Alexander the Great granted great favor to Jerusalem and the city flourished. Upon Alexander's death, the empire was divided among four generals. One of them, Ptolemy, ruled Egypt, and another, Seleucid, ruled initially from Babylon and then took much of the region north of Judea. These two divisions warred against one another, and Jerusalem was caught in between, suffering much until the rise of a great Jewish hero and commander, Judas Maccabeus, who between 167 and 160 BC defeated the Seleucids, and Jerusalem again became the capital of an independent state. This independence was to be short-lived, as in 63 BC, Roman general Pompey captured Jerusalem and Judea, and they were formally invested into the Roman Empire. Some years later, in 37 BC, Herod, known as Herod the Great, became the Roman client king of the region, and in an effort to win the favor of the Jews, decided to make a massive expansion of the temple complex in Jerusalem. Herod rebuilt the temple and, in fact, much of the city 
into one of the most magnificent on earth. Judea was again flourishing, yet in AD 66, as a result of changing Roman policies toward the Jews, especially in regard to freedom of religious worship, many Jews erupted in a revolt against Roman rule. General Titus crushed the rebellion in AD 70, and the fortifications and the temple itself were destroyed. Many Jews were killed, enslaved, or scattered in the surrounding regions. The remaining Jews festered under Roman oppression. And in AD 132, under the brilliant command of Shimeon Bar Kokhba, they launched another revolt, which for the Romans was much more serious than the first. The Roman army suffered terrible losses, but in the end, the revolt was defeated. This time, Jews were expelled, and Emperor Hadrian rebuilt the city, now named Elia Capitolina, on a smaller scale, with the centerpiece a temple to the Roman god Jupiter. To further insult the Jews, the Romans changed the name of the region from Judea to Palestine, the Latin equivalent of the name of the ancient enemies of the Jews in Israel, the Philistines. After more than 2,000 years of near-continuous habitation, this once glorious city was now reduced to a humble town where no Jews could reside on a permanent basis. Yet the prophets had said Jerusalem would continue to be a factor throughout history. In part two, we will see how correct they were. The region of the Middle East will be the focus for events that will occur as the end of the age draws near. Many have written about this, but often not from the precise context of the most famous prophetic book, the Bible. We have produced one of the most concise booklets on the future of the Middle East, which includes the future of Jerusalem. It is available to you free of charge, and the content may shock you. Here's how you can order your copy of the Middle East in Prophecy. Let me tell you how you can get your free copy of The Middle East in Prophecy. Simply dial the number on your screen. You can also order at twcanada.org. We're happy to send this to you at no cost because we believe this information to be invaluable. The Middle East is vital to Bible prophecy. You need to know how events half a world away will affect you. Don't wait. We have operators ready to take your call. Or you can order online. If you missed our contact information, don't worry. I'll be back to give it again. We saw in the first portion of our program the ancient history of Jerusalem, a city that existed from near the dawn of civilization and became the foremost city on the earth in the days of Solomon. Yet due to almost constant warfare, the city was twice nearly wiped off the face of the earth. But the prophets proclaimed it would continue to rise from the ashes. For the next 2,000 years, things did not get easier for the city. In the early 4th century, under the rule of Constantine, Jews were again permitted to enter the environs of Jerusalem. The city was then determined to be Christian. For almost 300 years, some level of peace, though not prosperity, returned to Jerusalem. Beginning around AD 610, a new religious movement sprang up in Arabia. And less than 20 years later, Muslim forces under the command of Caliph Omar overran Jerusalem and the region. The city quickly became a revered Muslim site due to their belief that Muhammad had ascended to heaven from the old Temple Mount. 
For most of the past 2,000 years, Jerusalem has been under the rule of Muslim leaders, save for a brief period of Crusader dominion from 1099 to 1187. Under Muslim rule, Jews were free to live, work, and worship, though not on the Temple Mount. In most cases, Jews fared far better in Muslim-ruled areas than in those governed by Christian rulers of the period. In 1517, the Ottoman Turks wrested control of the area from the Egyptians, enabling the powerful Sultan, Suleiman the Magnificent, to rebuild the city walls as they are seen today. Under Ottoman rule, however, the economy of the region declined. Trees were largely removed, accelerating the process of desertification. The land now appeared very different than it would have in the days of Abraham or Christ. In World War I, Turkey aligned itself with Germany and Austria-Hungary, and as a result found itself in conflict with Allied forces led by British General Allenby. Allenby's forces conquered all of Palestine, including liberating Jerusalem on December 11, 1917. This was the first Christian conquest of the city since A.D. 1099. It is worth noting that a month prior to the conquest by Allenby, the British Foreign Secretary Lord Balfour issued this statement supporting the establishment of a Jewish homeland. His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this objective. This became known as the Balfour Declaration. Of course, it was welcomed by Jews worldwide and opened the door to re-establish a tribe of Israel in its homeland after 2,000 years. To many Arabs, however, especially those who had allied themselves to the British in the war against the Turks, it seemed a betrayal. Thus, the stage was set for further conflict to envelop the city of peace. Rising levels of Jewish immigration raised more and more concern among Arab populations. Increasingly, the British found themselves under attack from both sides. Frustrated, they abandoned the mandate in 1947 and withdrew their forces. Within days of their withdrawal, conflict erupted between Jews and Arabs. Realizing war was inevitable, many Palestinian families fled the territory to escape the coming fight. Some villages were expelled by Jewish forces, but many more were encouraged to leave by Arab forces so they would not be in the way when they pushed the Jews into the sea. The war began on March 10, 1948, and ended in March 1949. The young Jewish nation, to the surprise of analysts, had defeated the armies of Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. West Jerusalem was now in Jewish hands for the first time since the Roman Wars. But war seldom resolves conflicts. The Palestinians who had fled now no longer had a home. Those who had remained were eventually offered citizenship as Israeli Arabs. Yet the 700,000 who had left were now refugees. The problem was made worse by the fact that Arab governments would not permit these refugees to come and settle in their territories and be eligible for their citizenship, as Israel did with Jews who were subsequently expelled from some Muslim lands. Thus, these 700,000 people were forced into refugee camps or settlements 
where many still languish. The Arab leaders felt they needed to use these refugees as a pressure tactic on Israel, knowing that if they returned, they would soon become the majority population. Other conflicts followed. The 1956 war, the 1967 Six-Day War, and the 1973 Yom Kippur War all saw Israel victorious. It was during the 1967 war that East Jerusalem, the old city, fell into Israeli hands. Today, tension is building again as hostile forces develop their battle plans. For the devout Muslim, the land of Palestine must be returned to Islam, with Jerusalem their capital. To the Jew, Israel is their only homeland, and Jerusalem their capital. After suffering the Holocaust, they are determined not to abandon their ancient home. So what is the future of this troubled city? We would like to give you another opportunity to order our free booklet, The Middle East and Prophecy, which explains as no other source events that will most certainly occur in the time ahead. If you would like to know what is ahead for the Middle East, call the number on your screen and ask for The Middle East in Prophecy, or order online at twcanada.org. Have you ever asked, where is the world headed? What does the future hold for me? Or if morality even matters anymore? Tomorrow's World answers these questions and more, and will also be sent to you free of charge. Call us right now or visit us online to get your free copy of The Middle East in Prophecy and Tomorrow's World magazine. Enjoy the rest of today's program. There is an old English saying, it is always darkest before the dawn. The immediate future portends a dark time for Jerusalem, but that darkness will be suddenly lifted. The Bible is the only religious literature whose prophecies can be shown to have been fulfilled in detail. That is because it alone is inspired by the Creator. Let us look at a few key verses that reveal the shape of the events to come. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Daniel was given information by God that sets an outline for the events of the end. He speaks of two competing world powers, one called the King of the South, referring to an alliance of nations south of Jerusalem, and one called the King of the North, referring to an alliance of nations of the north of Jerusalem, which other scriptures show include some of the descendants of ancient Assyria. The Bible predicts this northern alliance will be based in central Europe. This northern kingdom, explained in Daniel 2 verse 42, is composed of ten nations. This same kingdom will make a treaty with Judah and then violently break it and attack it, as well as other nations. It also shows the northern king will have secretly made alliances with others in the region. Then he shall confirm a covenant, a treaty, with many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Thus we see that Israel will make an alliance with this future power, which will last seven years. During that time, 
the Jews will again start sacrifices on the Temple Mount, which means it must be purified and be void of any other religious influence. It does not require a temple as such, but it does require a purified priesthood, suitable sacrifices, and the construction and dedication of at least an altar. This will not go down well with the surrounding Muslim nations. Halfway through this agreement, the King of the North will revoke the treaty and not only attack Israel, but some surrounding nations, and also defile the Temple Mount with religious rites of his own, which are incompatible with God's requirements. Hence, it is an abomination. At the time of the end, the King of the South shall attack him, and the King of the North shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships, and he shall enter the countries and overwhelm them and pass through, and he shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Once this attack comes, Israel will be defeated, as will other countries in the Arab world who are part of the King of the South. But three are named who will escape, likely due to an alliance they have secretly made with this northern beast power, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, who were anciently found within the territory of present-day Jordan, as well as in some of the surrounding territory, appear to have a future alliance with this northern power. Notice the warning given through the ancient prophet Zechariah around 520 BC, speaking of the days just before the intervention of a returning Christ in the time of the end. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. Jesus Christ will not allow things to go much further. Understanding that all of these troubles have been the natural result of people refusing to live by the laws and standards that God gave to mankind. Judah will learn its lesson and the survivors will be ready to obey. Now comes the beginning of the great restoration of Jerusalem. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy. Jerusalem will be the center of worship to the true God for all humanity. Under the rule of Jesus Christ and the resurrected saints, the children of God, Jerusalem will become the capital of the earth and Christ will extend righteous government, finally bringing peace, justice and prosperity to all mankind for over a thousand years. After that, there is an even more glorious future for this eternal city. I urge you to take a moment to call in and request your free copy of the Middle Eastern Prophecy. This booklet details many of the prophecies related not only to Jerusalem, but the surrounding regions as well. If you wish to understand the future of this region, order this free booklet. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned after the program for Tomorrow's World Answers where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. 
And be sure to come back next week as Gerald Weston, Michael Haycoop, and I will bring you more information about the world today and its incredible future in tomorrow's world. To learn more about today's topic, visit TWCanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. Or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, PO Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M 0P6. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for leading an abundant and happy life while providing insight into current and future events. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. During the Olivet Prophecy, Jesus foretold the ultimate fulfillment of an event described in the book of Daniel that included the cessation of animal sacrifices at the Temple Mount. However, animal sacrifices have not occurred on the Temple Mount for nearly 2,000 years. Does this end-time prophecy require a third temple in Jerusalem? In answering this question, let's first turn to the Gospel according to Matthew to read the words of Jesus at the Mount of Olives. Matthew 24 and verse 15 regarding the end of the age. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. The prophecy referred to in Daniel contains a key detail for us. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary of the fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. In 167 BC, the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes issued a decree prohibiting the Jews from making sacrifices at the temple. He then erected a statue of Jupiter Olympus in the temple and directed everyone to worship him. This occurred approximately 200 years before Christ warned of a future abomination of desolation to return to the Temple Mount. Many have come to the conclusion that in order for this prophecy to come to pass, there must first be a temple constructed in Jerusalem, followed by the resuming of animal sacrifices. As such, many are looking forward to the building of a third temple as a major prophetic milestone. However, the Bible shows that this prophecy could be fulfilled without the building of another temple. The book of Ezra chronicles the return of many Jews to Jerusalem following a period of captivity. The third chapter records a religious restoration by celebrating several of God's holy days in Jerusalem. And notice verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. The important point regarding the prophecy is that sacrifices must be present in a holy place in order for them to be cut off. There is precedence for the establishment of animal sacrifices in Jerusalem without the presence of a temple. While we cannot say for sure whether or not a new temple will be built in Jerusalem, this passage indicates that one is not required for the fulfillment of the Olivet Prophecy recorded in Matthew 24. To submit a question for the show, email us at twanswers at tomorrowsworld.org. 
Be sure to watch us online at TWCanada.org or by searching Tomorrow's World Answers on YouTube. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895, write or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.